and I'm Crispin. In this podcast, we will be listening to the adventure show that has been put out by Focus on the Family for the past 30 years. If you grew up evangelical like us, there's a good chance you've heard an episode or two. We'll be on the lookout for themes and messages in the show that coincide with and sometimes depart from God's in the world. Thanks for listening with us. Welcome back to the Prophetic Imagination Station. Season three, all about the ties that bind. And this is perhaps the most significant episode of the whole. No, there's a lot coming. You guys don't even know. You don't even what's still know coming. what's coming. I, I, I kind of want to spoil some of it, but we can't. Yes, but this definitely was an episode that we were both quite gobsmacked gobsmacked bye i yes. was angry yes that you were, too you were quietly horrified yes one of those points where you're giggling and horrified at the yeah. same time yeah okay so this is episode two of the ties that bind a season that focus on the family put out in 2014 is that right yes mm-hmm. okay. with a specific purpose of talking about god's design for marriage and also with this like how do evangelicals engage politically with, they didn't yeah. say that part, but... But we're inferring. Yes. Because there's a lot of discussion questions that you can Google online. So this is designed to help parents talk to their kids about issues of family and gender and uh, a lot Sexuality. of other things. Sexuality. Yeah, a lot of other things. Speaking of which, Crispin, do we need to have a warning on this episode? Uh, you tell me. What are you planning on talking about? What are about? you planning on talking about? <laughs> I mean... What Wait, is Mr. Whitaker talking about? He's just talking about office supplies. No, he's not. I'm just going to say you might not want to listen to this episode with your kids. I do not know what's going to come out of our mouths. Right. That sounded bad. I didn't mean that badly. Um, anyways. <laughs> yes. It's a good... Started already, Christopher. Right, yeah. Right. It's just like in the Adventures and Odysseys where Paul McCusker comes on, right? You need a man at the beginning that says, we want parents to be aware that today's episode could be scary for young children. Thank you. Thank you, Paul McCusker, who also <laughs> wrote this episode. Oh, there yeah, we go. I was listening to the end. Mm. Okay, we're going to do a new thing, right? We're going to do a 30-second recap thing? Yeah. Okay. And I have to go first. Is that what you said? Yeah. Although, let me see if I can do it in, like, 20 seconds. No. That's not how it works. <laughs> can you, you can do, do it. next episode. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> well, now I'm curious. You go first. Okay, so basically, uh, the kids that were there when Wit was talking to Miss uh, Adelaide uh, in the previous episode about the poster asked him about what is the... Okay, Danielle's shaking her head at me. Okay, you've already wasted so like much time. I feel like need a buzzer. <laughs> I know, I wasn't even timing it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go. Okay. Okay, so basically this episode is about... Mr. Whitaker getting a chance to talk to some kids about God's design for marriage, but he muddles it up in a very weird metaphor because he doesn't know what he's talking about. Also, <laughs> Christian, don't laugh. Also, there's something going on at this Comic-Con, and Woodley, is that his name? Wooten. Wooten. Wooten's there with Penny, and then you meet his cousin who lives in Alaska, and they meet this rich investor guy. And then also, um, Connie, his sister Jules, is in town and just probably getting into some trouble. And then at the very end, Eugene and Katrina are talking about adopting Buck. Good job. The only thing you missed is that Connie finds a key to a trunk, which we'll tie in later. 
So boring. Right. The trunk thing is very boring. And some other stuff. They introduced this idea of like somebody is coming to buy some things because they're starting this ghost town, Hangman's Hollow. I don't know. They're just they're just putting a few threads for this 14 episode series. Um, Doesn't matter. No. I'm great. I'm great at this. Yeah. You Good need job. to practice for next time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so yeah there there were two major themes in this episode yeah. one being uh mr whitaker explaining god's design for marriage which he's apparently an expert on mm-hmm. um and also adoption mm-hmm. and what adoption is about and why christians should do it well those are two things that evangelicals love to talk about mm-hmm. right yes definitely yeah yep totally yeah, what was good about the episode? We're gonna. This is the segment of what's good. Oh, I like that voice. Good job. Um, I didn't think anything was good, but what I what I did like is there's this character named Harlow. <gasps> Harlow or, Doyle, Private Eye. See, that's what I like. I yes. like how excited you get right. about it. It's my favorite. I don't like him at all. I just like how much you like him. Yeah. He's so great. Tell tell the listeners about Har- Harlow. Harlow Doyle uh, was on the album that I first got when I was like five years old. I want to say I want to make a joke about how you imprinted on Harlow Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> and he's this really silly guy, and he's just like hum to hum to hum. Is kind of my impression of I him. Do that one more time. <laughs> you know, he's like hum to hum to hum. Yes. A little investigative antiquary, eh? <laughs> Well, thank you. And he's sort of like Amelia Bedelia in that he takes everything very literally, and he's just silly. So I was so excited to hear him, because I don't think he'd been on for, like, probably decades. Oh. I don't know. That's my guess. He was okay. definitely like a like an 80s, early 90s character. <gasps> yeah, so they brought you him back. You know what this makes me think? This makes me think that this whole series is designed for kids who grew up on Adventures in Odyssey, and now they need to learn how to talk to their kids about our current moral climate. Right. It's like McDonald's, right? And Happy Meals yeah. and how they... Oh my gosh. Right. That's why they brought back Harlow, is just to get the yous of the world. For me's. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's what you were saying. I thought That's you were saying youths. Not the youths. No. The you, The Christian yes, Mayfields right. of yeah. the world. I mean, I was, I was ecstatic to hear him Little did they back. know. The Crispins would grow up to have podcasts about this that nobody listens to. Okay, what did you think was good? Um, I was going to say nothing but Harlow Doyle, for right. sure. And also Wooten. I like Wooten as a person. I think that he's been uh, influenced by uh, evangelical culture in a way that sometimes is annoying, but he has a good heart. He's a goof. I like his voice. Okay, this this can be like subcategory of what's good. It can be um, Danielle overthinks things too much. I do want to talk about two weird things. One, Wooten's girlfriend is named Penny and her last name is Wise. Penny Wise. And isn't that somebody in... What you informed me today is somebody in the movie slash book It. I didn't tell you that, but I heard someone tell you that. Okay. Is that our daughter? <laughs> I think it cannot so. be our daughter. I don't she know. She cannot know what It is. Anyways, also, the art investment collector guy his name is hugo wells h.g wells who's famous for like radio dramas and scaring the crap out of people Mm -hmm. and also he's a huge racist Mm. Mm. i did not know that i thought he was just an author i didn't know that he was radio well remember the war of the worlds right did he read it himself or did somebody else read it 
Right. Yeah. Speaking of, there's an Adventures in Odyssey episode based on that. But seriously, he's like the most racist. Yes, right. Yeah. So I mean, why would they name... I'm assuming Hugo Wells... I think they are obsessed with him. Yeah. The writers. Okay. Because there is this old episode where Jimmy here, like, watches this TV program or radio or something and okay. freaks out there and... You go. Right? This ends the sub-segment. Okay. Yeah. So, that brings us to the wit-splain of the episode. You guys... I think you need to prepare yourselves for the witsplain of this episode because it is the witsplain to end all witsplains. In fact, like we can't really talk about it. We just we just need you to listen to it. Right, yeah. We should give some context. Should we? Yes. Okay. So basically, uh the kid, whatever his name is. Jimmy? No. They're all Jimmy's. <laughs> yeah, so let's say Jimmy. Although real <laughs> listeners of this of the show will be very Upset. frustrated. Yeah. So Johnny. Right. So kid A. <laughs> he asks Mr. Whitaker, why does it matter who loves who? Or something like that. Well, no, he's talking about his sister Olivia. Right. Because she was really influenced by Miss Adelaide in the previous episode, who was like, don't you care about inclusivity and tolerance? Because remember, there's this big festival. What's it called? The Let's Uh, Get Together Festival. mm -hmm. And Wit says he can't put up the poster because what does tolerance mean? And what does inclusivity mean? And if family means everybody, then I can't support that kind of thing. And so this little boy is like, my sister Olivia is like, you know kind of thinks what Miss Olive- what Miss Adelaide said is good, so how do I convince her? And so then Mr. Whitaker is like, okay, I'll I'll show you how to convince her. Which, by the way, there is a tiny witsplain before that. It's not the witsplain in the episode, but Wit is like, well, your sister can get behind causes that seem good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What did he say? He said, <laughs> she gets enthusiastic about causes that look like they're helping people. Causes that look like they're helping people. Right, Or yeah. seem like they're helping people, right? right? Oh. So he's there to be oh, like, I, I see that, that you're mis- patronizing this in my bones. Right. Is that how you say that word? Yeah, sure. Sure. I want to call it patrony, but I don't think that's what it is. Down with the patrony. <laughs> right. <laughs> patronizing exactly, patriarchy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. So Mr. Whitaker then says, um, well, we'll play the clip. Uh, Let me come at it in a different way. Um, You probably don't know that I love fountain pens. You mean the old-fashioned kind with those pointy tips and inkwells and stuff? Yeah, something like that. Well, I had one in particular that was my favorite. It was a great pen, perfect for my handwriting. One day when Jason was little, I came home to find that he had used my fountain pen as a nail and pounded it into the wall to hang a picture he'd made for me. Well, it made sense in a way. He saw the pointed nib and thought it would serve his purpose. And you know what? It did. With enough hammering, that pen held the picture up. But it ruined the pen. Completely. Do, Do you see the parallel? The pen, which was designed to be a pen, also worked as a nail with enough hammering. Functionally, it did what a nail does, but it was ruined as a pen. Uh... How do you think the designer of that pen would feel if he found out that people were using his pen as a nail? I wouldn't be happy about it. Well, for some of us, 
That's what we see people doing to marriage. Pointed nibs. <laughs> I love fountain pens. Chris, do we have dirty minds? Uh, we, so we talked about this. Um, who cares if we have dirty minds or not? The question is, did they intentionally use this metaphor? How many times did they say hammering? Yeah, right. Hammering, hammering into. <laughs> into places where they shouldn't be. Right. I mean, the question is, did the writers, <laughs> did they, did they consciously choose this metaphor or did they subconsciously okay, choose which, this which metaphor? Which answer is worse? Uh, I think it would be a lot more hilarious if it's subconsciously. <laughs> They're just like, what can we think of for a metaphor for gay marriage? I just, we just need to take a step back and say, first of all, does this analogy make any sense? No. No. It doesn't. No. Okay, but Jimmy or Johnny or whatever his name is, like he's like, oh yeah, that sure. I I just I don't get it at all, Crispin. How is this helping parents explain anything? How does this little story of Mr. Whitaker's I mean, it kind of makes me feel like they they don't have any like scripture to stand on. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like right. he didn't say any Bible stories, he didn't say anything like he just had a very weird metaphor for like somebody using something in the way it's not supposed to be used. And like that's enough for I guess an 8-year-old kid, but even then it wouldn't be enough for an 8-year-old kid. Right, yeah. No, that doesn't that doesn't I I think that he would be better off just saying God says it's wrong. Actually. Is that weird? You know I what know. I mean? I, I just don't understand what's happening. It, in some ways, when I listened to this episode, it just felt like the whole the emperors have, has no clothes moment. Just like, this is gibberish. This is gobbledygook. And I don't understand. It's like phallic I... gobbledygook. And like... <laughs> Am I insane? Am I the only person who doesn't I feel like... see this as an argument in any way, shape, or form? And yet, this episode made it so, like, see, that was profound and amazing. I'm just like, what? This is the part of you that has sat through endless sermons of metaphors that don't actually make sense, but for some reason seemed really good in the pastor's mind. I know, I but... I mean... But this is, like, the the worst... I mean, this kid has a real question. What is wrong about relationships and families when people love each other. And he's given this garbled metaphor. Um, and then he's like, sure, that makes total sense. And I just felt like super bummed. Like I was that kid that was always like, sure, that makes sense. I have to say it makes sense or else I'm a terrible person and you'll hate me and I won't be a good Christian anymore. You know what I mean? That's what we see people doing to marriage and family and lots of other aspects of what God intended for us. Does that help as a place to start? Yeah. I'll tell Olivia. Maybe I'll use that story too. <laughs> oh, good. I just feel kind of bombed. Like, I'm tired of saying like, oh yeah, that makes sense when it, it doesn't actually make sense. Agreed. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think we just, for one, like, what do you even say about that? And for two, yeah, it just doesn't, 
It doesn't make sense. I don't know. Like, so is, yeah, is marriage a function? Is it like, I don't know. It's just there. Yeah. There's all that. There's just, I don't know what the writers were intending to communicate, but all I got out of that little metaphor was definitely one about sexuality. Yes. (laughs) Is that not what it's supposed to be about though? And it's just supposed to be about this much broader concept of God designed for certain things to be certain ways. And when we don't do that, it's not good. Right. Well, and also there's this tinge of like, like God's disappointed in you. Right. And it's this like, I feel like that is. And it hurts. Yeah. Hurts him. Yeah. Right. Which I think is really dangerous. Like a lot of the early patristic fathers. So like early church talked about how like God is not a God. He is a God of love. He is not a God of needs. He doesn't need us to like appreciate his gifts, right? That's basically yeah. what Mr. Whitaker is saying is like, you know, God is given this gift with the strings attached. But I think the other piece of this is then it's Mr. Whitaker is looking and playing in this big thing that, so we can talk particularly about sexuality, but it extrapolates out into all these issues. And I think that's what this this season tends to do or like has the potential to do, which is like God ordained these structures. So it's marriage, right? But it's also other structures in society, right? And so you can't question it. And if you oppose it, then you're opposing God. So I think you're totally right. This is a, a season about establishing hierarchy and being designed by God. Therefore, we have to accept them with no questions asked, you know, and no like saying this seems weird or like um, love does seem like something we should at least talk about as a part of God's design, you know, for human flourishing. And so, yeah, I think it just like, I think it's really funny at first blush to listen to Mr. Whitaker talk about how much he loves pens. Let's <laughs> 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 hold them in his hand. But you know, actually going deeper, it it makes me feel really unsettled just how they're setting up this argument, which is not just about gay marriage, which I don't even think they use that phrase in this entire season, but that's so obviously what this is about. Um, yeah, it's about upholding certain authority and institutions, um, but at the same time belittling them if they aren't for your agenda. Right? Right, It gets yeah. very confusing. Well, line, if as they, we'll talk about. Right, yeah. And if, if that structure is no longer upholding the political agenda that you feel is biblical, then it is like a pen being smashed into a wall. Yeah. Right? So, like, the you know, I, I think evangelicals would say the government, right, if it's not, hold, like, holding to biblical principles that it was founded on, Right is it is this ordained structure that's not functioning in the pl- in the way that it's supposed to. Yeah, yeah. One thing that this really brings up is that we need to have ways to talk about sexuality in the church, and Mr. Whitaker's blunder at it is just case in point in how we really lack the skills and ability, and we haven't done it well. Um, it's not. It's not saying, like, these aren't discussions that we should have. It's saying, like, we should have better discussions. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I think it's, like, I I mean, I even think about, like, my own uh, 
experiences like growing up evangelical. And yeah, I just have not been a part of very many good conversations about these topics that are actually like engaging, right? We want to take scripture in mind. Um, yeah. But I don't really, I I mean, I actually don't think this is a discussion about sex at all. I don't think Mm. focus on the family or I just have a dirty mind. Adventures in Aussie doesn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole, but they are invested in, in upholding certain structures and hierarchies, which you mentioned earlier. I do, I really do think that is at the baseline here. So that makes me think that this whole inclusivity, tolerance, families, like why Mr. Whitaker hates the Let's Get Together Festival is just because gay marriage has now been recognized as a legitimate structure, mm-hmm. right? With mm-hmm. rights and responsibilities right. therein, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Uh-huh, like, it's yeah. an issue because it's now recognized and it now holds power. Mm. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's a, right. So, so it's, it's a, not even about sex. It's about, like, they now people who are in same-sex marriages have those same rights and power. Yeah, right. It's about losing power. Right. You couldn't see the look on my face right now, but it was just like, oh my gosh, you were so insightful. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Cute. No, don't edit that out. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. I mean, it's true that you're insightful. Just edit out me pretending to sound like Jonathan from Queer Eye. Okay. So that's where I really think this is going. It's about the power dynamic, not just like, what's wrong with two people loving each other? Like, this is about, no, God only designed the institution of marriage to be one man and one woman. And it's all in the Bible, which we'll get to that at the end of this episode. Um, so the, there's this other big piece, which is, so Buck is this 17 year old who has recently been released from juvenile hall and Eugene and Katrina are deciding whether to welcome him into their home. And it's very vague by the way, which is probably not recommended if you're going to, uh, welcome a teenager into your home. Cause sometimes they talk about adoption. Sometimes they talk about being a parole officer. Sometimes they talk about being a supervisor anyway. Also, he's supposed to be a bad kid, but he sounds like this sweet Southern boy. He just says, yes, ma'am, and yes, sir, like all the time in this little right. accent. Yeah. And so... Doesn't sound like a bad boy to my ears. But I have no clue what he did. They don't ever explain it in this Right. Series. I was curious to know like what he would sound like. They talked about him for a while. I was wondering how they would portray this, this uh, young man with legal issues. Named Buck. Right. So at least we know he's white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of name. So basically, uh, Eugene and Katrina decide they are going to take him in. Well, that doesn't happen to the very end of this episode. Right. Yes. So they, they decide in this really weird way where they do this role play, where they pretend to be one another. First, Mr. Whitaker prays with Eugene. Okay. It was very awkward. I thought. Mr. Whitaker also said that parenting is like a tornado, which is interesting. Is that like the one thing that you agree with Mr. Whitaker well, on? Well, I don't know, because he said it's like a tornado, and except there's, you know, there's joy that you get out of it. But, like, 
You do what you can, and the vari- the variables are left in God's hands. That's what Mr. Whitaker said. The variables are God's business. You can't always predict them any more than you can predict the future. <laughs> it's kind of like preparing for a tornado. Actually, I did think about that a lot because most of us, even if we don't want to admit it, we do have some sort of like transactional relationship with God, and especially when it comes to parenting, right? If we do a good job parenting our kids, then God will protect our kids or God will make sure our kids are Christians or, you know, even if we say we don't. And I I feel like this is all over focus on the family stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Raise up your family, like do all these things, focus on your freaking family and everything will turn out okay. And Mr. Whitaker's like, you do what you can, but the variables are in God's hands. It's a freaking tornado out there. And I was like, whoa, did he just delegitimize this entire (laughs) parent organization? If parenting is a tornado? The start a magazine called Tornado. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Focus on the Family probably would, would publish that, right? Wouldn't they? Yeah. It's just a shit show out there. That's our tagline. <laughs> okay. Okay? They, they probably would not publish that. Mm, yeah. Anyways, that was an interesting tidbit. So Mr. Whitaker prays with Eugene because, of course, Eugene is like, I feel nervous and all these risks and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Then him and Katrina do a weird role-playing where he pretends to be Katrina and she pretends to be Eugene. Well, I suggest we switch places. You say what you believe I'll say, and I'll say what I believe you'll say. Okay, isn't that um, risky? Well, for some perhaps, but not for us. So she's pro-Buck, and he supposedly isn't. But but then you want to talk about where Eugene ends up? Yeah, so Eugene ends up at redemption. Now present your, my thoughts. Very well. <clears throat> One word. Oh? Redemption. Right? Just one word. He says we should do it because of redemption. Yeah. I saw it in my mind in all caps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And so basically he's saying like there's this possibility that we could redeem, that this young man could be redeemed Mm -hmm. by coming to live with us. Mm -hmm. Right? So, and they kind of do this like, is he good or is he bad? Maybe he's not that bad. Maybe he was just being manipulated. So he has this potential to be good. Yeah, that really stood out to me because they were saying, I guess, I don't know what he did. He did some bad stuff. And Eugene was saying, like, well, his moral character was shaped by this bad man. I forget his name. Some Mr. Skint or something like that. And so now we have a chance to shape his moral character, right? And so, yeah, he says, like, if he doesn't come to us, then who who will take him? Like, basically, you know, we're his only hope and he could turn his life around and then we could guide him to a relationship with Jesus. And he said that alone is a singular reason why we should adopt him. And so that word redemption, like it's not a terrible word, but like it felt weird at the end here. And I think it's that thing that Eugene says, which is this is the singular reason why we should adopt him is because he could become a Christian, right? So Right. And I think become a Christian, but also like become a good person. I think okay, that's secondary. So, okay, right. Obviously, yes. So talk about the Christian part, because I want to talk about the good part. Well, the Christian part, it just really brought to mind, like, decades and centuries of toxic theology of it doesn't matter what you do to a person if you save their soul, right? And so, like, has nothing to do with, like, hey, Buck has experienced trauma. Hey, let us help him um, develop healthy attachments and healthy relationships. Help, You know, we can help enact justice in the world by helping this young man that has been failed by society. You know, all these things. It's like, no, maybe we can get him to pray the sinner's prayer. 
and then we've we've done our work. But maybe you're tagging into something which is about we have a chance to create a good person. Right, yeah. So and I think that this is like something that's common in evangelical theology. I call it makeover boyfriend theology. Oh, do you? Yes, I do. I've never heard of this. Come up with my own term, which is basically this idea of like, God loves you because he can see what you can become, right? Sort of that like, like, I see that guy, like, he's kind of like, he's not that cool, but like, if I go out with him and I like, pick out his clothes. Oh my gosh, it's just what happened with me and you. That's true. You guys, the first time I met Crispin, he was wearing a trench coat. He wore acid-washed mom jeans that went up to his belly button, and he wore headphones, and he would tap dance down the sidewalks. And, yeah, I have not worn either of those things since, but I've still done a lot of tap dancing. And you still have headphones on. Yes. I knew I could make you over. Right, exactly. And I did. And nobody likes to hear (laughs) that, (laughs) right, when you're in that moment, you don't want to be heard like... Oh, I could make you into something, or I could make you acceptable, or I could right. make you lovable. You were right? very cute from day one. Well, thanks. And I think that's basically what Eugene is saying: is like we don't really accept you. We we're hope like we're gambling, right? And taking this risk that you might become yeah. someone that we might want to accept. And I think that evangelical conditional acceptance, yeah, right, yeah. And I think. Uh, evangelical theology. So if you think about someone that's coming, uh, that's growing up with shame and feeling really bad about themselves, and then they become a Christian, then the idea that sometimes they hear is like, oh, like God really wants you to become a better person. And it reinforces that shame because it's like, yeah, you're right. I am this terrible, horrible, unlovable person. And the only reason that God wants me is so that I will become like this perfect person that he can then love. Yeah. Right. It's not great for attachment. No, no. Right. So yeah, attachment. Probably not great for a kid in the foster care system. No, 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 no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, of course there's some good things underneath it too. Um, I think Katrina, you know, wants to be a part of Buck's life and it is a huge risk to invite somebody in your home and I don't want to minimize that. But, um, I actually have a friend who's something of an expert in adoption. Mm-hmm. So my friend Kelly, Nick and Deha, she is actually an expert in adoption. And she wrote a book called Adopted, The Sacrament of Belonging in a Fractured World. And so I asked her to just um, give us a little definition of adoption. So we're going to drop that in right here and then Chris and I will discuss it. And adoption is always telling us um, about this in a sense, a subversive way of understanding our deep capacity uh, to belong to one another. And there is a certain part of the Christian church um, that tend to think about, or when they talk about adoption, uh, sometimes they'll connect it to abortion, um, right? And, and instantly make it um, the, you know, the answer to abortion is adoption, Right. And that puts it in a political sphere rather quickly. Um, but you also hear these same people, um, and this is very popular, much to my chagrin, but it's very popular to actually connect adoption to um, evangelism. And so you have, we have major proponents um, in the um, evangelical world talking about how our mission budget 
should allow for support of adopted adoption, international adoption. Because when you adopt a child from abroad, you can bring them back to the States and raise them as a Christian. You know, it's like a, another way that you can convert somebody. <laughs> um, of course, I think along with that isn't just the idea that you're converting them to Christianity, but of course they would be raised in a, um, a capitalistic, um, you know, mindset of American exceptionalism. And I think there's a whole lot more that goes with that. Um, and I just find that to not be very true to the biblical picture of adoption. Um, what I often see when I study the text is that adoption at its best is about belonging, uh, taking the orphan and putting them into a family. It is about justice. So you know, we see that in Moses' story where his family had to let go of him because of the deep injustice of slavery. And so somebody else stepped in and raised that child so that he could actually live. That was that was using adoption as a mechanism of justice and trying to make right what was wrong. Those to me are better pictures of adoption. Um, we can go on to talk about the ways in which caring for families at risk, you know, not necessarily adopting them, but caring for them, supporting them, uh, is another way that we see the gestures of adoption extended in our own communities. Um, and so I would love to think differently about adoption than maybe some of uh, my more evangelical brothers and sisters do. It's just such a rich, rich metaphor. So Kelly is really big into adoption being about belonging. And I should say that Kelly herself uh, is an adopted person and she has also adopted two children of her own. So she's speaking from experience, but she's also a theologian. She has studied this. And um, so adoption for her is about belonging. She talks a lot in her book about the flip side of belonging is relinquishment. And so how each adoption story carries with it the pain of relinquishment, which is something we don't see addressed in this episode at all, is why, where are Buck's parents? Where is his family? There's no talk of that trauma. There's no talk of any of that. It's just, this is new, like, and even though they don't say it, you do still sense that like God must have ordained this so that we can take Buck into our life. But maybe that's not there. Maybe I'm being uncharitable. We don't actually hear them say that. So maybe right, I should yeah. give more credit. I think you I think that you are saying something here that you have heard several right. other places in evangelicalism, which is pretty problematic. Well, like, if Buck becomes a Christian and becomes a good person, maybe that will then become the narrative, right? Right. God brought him into our life. Um which means that God ordained all the, whatever horrible stuff happened to Buck to bring him to this place, right? And so that is really bad. And then Kelly also says something interesting, which is when Paul talks about adoption, um, he is talking about it in the context of the Roman Empire, where it's only emperors that adopted, and they adopted um, because they didn't have an heir, and they wanted to continue their empire. So they would like, adopt a general in their army or something like that. And so when Paul's talking about God adopting us, which is the verse that, evangelicals love to use um, because a lot of evangelicals adopt <laughs> I don't know if you knew that um but Paul's really talking about expanding this God's kingdom God's empire on earth right and that's what we've all been adopted into and I think evangelicals and white evangelicals in particular have really taken that to mean something different and I think we touched up upon this in the first episode but what's so weird about 
conservative Christians is that they're obsessed with defining like God's design for families and marriage. And yet they're also obsessed with adoption, which doesn't fit into that. Wait, are you saying that the two main themes in this episode are conflicting? I am. Because if like, it's all about biology or nature, you know, whatever you want to say, like adoption doesn't play into that. Like adoption is a radical reordering of our lives to help people belong right and to contribute to shalom and to see god at work in our entire community to make sure everyone is flourishing right that's and that has nothing to do with hierarchy in fact it goes it blows hierarchy out of the water right like otherwise adoption is threatening to hierarchy right yeah yeah and also it it uh really pushes against this idea of nuclear family yes. right of like we just, it's just whoever, like, is this is the way things are supposed to be, and it looks outside of the norm. Family is family, unless you somehow get to add a traumatized child to your family to make them a Christian. Right. Is, am I saying this right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That sounds awful. Yeah. But I don't know what else to say. Mm hmm. And again, they don't really give any deep background, but that's what's so weird. I find these very jarring when put up next to each other, and yet we're just supposed to be like, yeah, of course, because this is just a part of our culture and background. We just accepted these two realities, even though they totally contradict each other. Right, yeah. Woo! Yeah. Right. What else do you want to say about this, Crispin? I am so excited to go to the questions from the discussion booklet guide. The focus on the family questions? Uh-huh, Are yeah. you ready for this? Yes. Okay, so let's go. ready. Let's right. go. Let's go. I mean, they wrote them. We got to answer them. We do got to answer them. What do you think attracts people like Olivia to the ideas of tolerance and inclusivity? I think you should tackle this one, Crispin. Yeah, definitely. Um, and who, oh, who's Olivia? Yeah, she's this little girl. She's the sister right, of right, right. Johnny and Jimmy. Johnny, Jimmy, okay. Jimmy John. Jimmy John. Let's call that. Okay. Love them sandwiches. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's this, uh, I don't know what he is, uh, this guy, writer, called Jonathan Haight, who talks about uh, we have these different moral taste buds, and so there are different reasons when we look at a situation ethically uh, we have these different values. So there's like care and harm. Like, is this is it good or bad based on is it harming someone? Is it fair? Is there loyalty? Um, but then also things like authority. So some people are like, there there are certain that if it's going against authority, like chosen authority, then that's problematic. There's sanctity. So one person might be like, yeah, it's fine to burn an American flag because it's not hurting anyone. And someone else might be like, no, there's something inherently wrong about that because of what it represents and the, the government and the things that have been ordained and put in place, et cetera. Right. And so I think it's really helpful that Olivia is really drawing on that, that, uh, harm foundation. So like, it's not harming anyone. Right. So why is it bad? And then Mr. Whitaker is coming from this authority and sanctity where he's like, marriage is something sanct- like sanctified and and it's something that God and authority has put in place. And so Jonathan Haidt talks about how we talk past each other. We don't understand where the other person is coming from because we don't understand that we're we're coming at these ethical questions from do- two different values basically. Mm. Okay. Which I think is interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, do you 
make a value judgment for yourself about what's more important. Well, actually, Walter Brueggemann talks about this theme throughout scripture, which is like the holy temple and the laws on one side, and then inclusivity and compassion on the other side. And there's this tension that runs through scripture, right? And we always have to grapple with that tension of like holy exclusion, like who's in and who's out, right? And there are these laws that are set up that way, right? But then there's also this this theme of like, anybody can come in. And so then we look at Jesus's life. And I think we as communities have to wrestle through that. But when you look at Jesus, what he did with laws, with the things that people said, no, this is ordained by God, right? Like the Sabbath, for example, right? They're like, this is ordained by God. And Jesus is like, no, this is to serve humans, not the other way around. Mm, mm-hmm. So I think it's, I don't know the answer when it comes to sexuality, but I think that it's really interesting and important to keep that in mind. Yeah, totally. Okay, next question. Okay. Uh, Where did marriage come from and how did God define it? (gasps) Nobody knows. (laughs) That's the answer, I think. I mean, one of the things that's so frustrating is, what do you think Focus on the Family is expecting with this question? Where does marriage come from? The Bible or God? Uh, yeah, God, and then God defines it in the Bible. Yeah, how does God define it? One man and one woman. No, he don't. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> how does he define it? Okay, well, I mean, I think that Jesus does talk about one man and one woman being normative um, in the Gospels, but not in the way that we're grasping for I think in this episode and actually when we look at the Old Testament like what do we see I do we do see Adam and Eve right one man and one woman right. and that's yeah. in the beginning mm-hmm. and from that point on it's we see one polygamy, man. polygamy 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 <laughs> we see one man and one woman and one other woman seven years later and women being sexually assaulted left and right and being used to bear children and being used to further empires and like really, really, really terrible stuff, right? For women. Really good stuff, I guess, if you're a dude, Um, which I think is important to note, right? If if you're looking at a biblical definition of marriage and you're a dude, it, it probably sounds like good news. But somebody on Twitter asked this question the other day, like, if you're a woman, can you think of any marriages in the Bible that you would say like, yeah, yeah, I'd want to be in that. And I was like, no, no. And it feels so good to say that, honestly. And then, you know, some like 99% dudes came at me (laughs) being like, oh, you wouldn't want to be Ruth? No, I wouldn't. Her life sounds miserable. And right. it's not, I mean, none of this is the romantic fairy tales we want to be. Like Priscilla and Aquila, whatever. We know nothing about them. Right. They yeah. could have had a horrible situation. I right. don't know. I'm happy to be here and married to you. You know, like, yeah, egalitarians. Um, but yeah, like, I think it's really important to point out, like, first of all, polygamy is the norm for much of the scriptures. And actually, uh, I'm reading this book, The Womanist Midrash, by Wilda Gaffney. She's a, a black womanist theologian, and she just has this little thing on polygamy in there. She's like, who who outlawed polygamy? Was it the church? No, it was actually the Roman Empire that outlawed it. I mean, that's really important. 
right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> right. I mean, people always look at Paul as like, you know, the elder must be a man of one wife, which then it follows that there were all these people that were part of the church that yeah. had more than one wife. Yeah. Right. That's that is uh, the requirement for being an elder. Yeah. But yeah, so then it's just ridiculous. Well, first of all, it always bugs me. I think I talked about this in the last episode when people use the word definition because the Bible is not a dictionary and it does not define things. Yeah, so when it comes to, like, God-designed marriage, like, the Bible is the worst place to look for that. For me, as a woman, Mm -hmm. honestly. Yeah. I think that doesn't mean you and I both don't use the Bible, right? Right, yeah. Um, And it has shaped us to be disciples of Jesus, which hopefully would make us better suited to, I don't know, like that we right, would yeah, be servants partners. of each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we would be self-sacrificial, right? So that's like one of the defining characteristics of Christ. He self-sacrificial. Like, yes, if you're trying to follow Christ to be self-sacrificial, like you're going to have a better marriage, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean that I... I'm going to accept abuse or I'm going to accept being a minority in this relationship or I'm going to, you know, all these things that women in the Bible, when it was written, both old and new, they, they just had to accept that. And that's what focus on the family is like, that's what we want. I don't, I don't know how else to take that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. This, this idea that we have currently of marriage, which is, there's the partnership, there's procreating, there's romance, and there's friendship. Probably like one to two of those were standard in in ancient Near East marriages. Yeah. But most what like most of that wasn't it didn't look anything like yeah. that. And again, so if, if like if all of this has been good for you, you're gonna listen to this episode and you'll be like, Yeah, sure, that's great. Yeah, God defines the Bible marriage. But if you are lower on the power dynamic scale, you're going to say, oh, no, that's not good news for me, right? If you're not heteronormative, right? If you're not um, male. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It's not as easy of an answer as I think they want us to think it is. We're super excited about next episode because there's somebody famous. Oh yeah, that is a voice actor in it. This is the part that we're we're trying to tease you guys into listening again. No, that's not how you say that. Incite you to listen no! again. <laughs> but you guys, there's a special voice actor on the next episode. You won't believe your ears. And Crispin found some very interesting tidbits about this certain person. Right. How much do we want to reveal? I want to reveal the inherent contradiction. Yes. Okay. So we won't tell you who it is. You got to listen next week. But we will tell you that it it seems like, best I can tell, the time that he was recording this, he was also playing a gay man who is married to another man on a TV show. A very wonderful TV show. One Mm -hmm. of our faves. Yes. Okay, and let's... uh, I think we should have a new segment. I'm just springing this on you, Crispin. Okay. To end our show, which is, let's all be horrified by Chris. (laughs) And we should just end this episode by her end to the episode. You know... 
Sometimes we forget that this world was designed by God Himself, and we think things like marriage and family just sprung up out of different cultures or vague traditions or because some government said it does. So what does it mean if we start messing around with what God has created? I suspect Wit and the folks in Odyssey are going to explore that question in the adventures to come. What does it mean if you start messing around? <laughs> I'm sure we'll find out. And don't let the government tell you anything. Right. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. You can always <laughs> you can always email us at prophetic oh, right, 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 right. prophetic imagine you can always email us at prophetic imagination station at gmail.com. We would love emails from you guys. Did you grow up listening to Ventures and Odyssey? Are you listening to the ties that bind? Are you enjoying us talking about it? Or do you think we're heretics? We will be on the Twitter, etc. this week to find out how many other people loved Professor or Private Eye Harlow Doyle as much as I did. What were you going to say? Professor what? I don't know. Professor McGonagall. <laughs> Just a Freudian She's slip there. She's my favorite. It's because you're looking at me. Right, yeah. I'm McGonagall. Yeah. And you're Lupin. Because you're mm-hmm. so hairy. Which I love. That is a story for another time about when I took my shirt off in psychology class. And I feel for you. Yeah. Okay. Catch you next time. Have a good week. This has been an episode of the Prophetic Imagination Station. Check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes and stay tuned for weekly discussions.